I always love it when the room is full of a cacophony of hellos and welcoming one another. It is always a pleasure to be in community in the house of the Lord. Today we are going to be continuing in our series, Scary Love. This is our fourth week out of five. Some of you are like, "Woo! this is it's about time it's almost over. Because it's been tough, right? It's been, it's kind of been toe-stepping. It's not been an easy series for us to kind of swallow because the love that God calls us to is scary, is difficult, and it's challenging. Let's pray, and then we will open the word of the Lord together. Father, we do thank you for your love that as you call us to love one another, you have already loved us in this way. You have been the example and are the example of how to love, for you are love. And we thank you for your word. We thank you when your word encourages us, and we thank you when your word convicts us. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning, that as we gather together, that we will hear your word in spirit and in truth. And it won't just be for information, but transformation. For your word is living, active, and breathing. Thank you. In your name, amen. Amen. I don't know if I'm alone in this. I have a suspicion that I'm not. But I know that when my wife sends me to the store and she gives me three things that I need to remember to get, and I will get those. I don't even write those down. I know that these three items will be gotten. But on my way to Walmart, I get a phone call. Could you get one more thing? And I go into the store all excited to just be super awesome for my family and get all of the things that we need. And I leave the store with seven things, and two of the regular four things are missing. Because I didn't write them down. I thought, wow, you know, this is great. But when you add that fourth thing, I always tell her, if you're adding a fourth thing, text me the entire list because I will forget. Right? I don't always stay on focus. And this happens with administrative tasks. If you know me, if I'm sitting down trying to do something administrative and I get a phone call or a text message, I all of a sudden forget everything I was supposed to do administratively. I'm, I don't like administration. I, I'm, that, that bores me. It's hard for me to really knuckle down and focus on what I need to focus on. And I think sometimes we live that way where it can be tough to focus on the important things. We can easily get distracted. I stop reading my Bible and, and reading books on my phone for devotional because as I'm reading those, lo and behold, I'll get a text message or I'll get some other notification. An email will come through. And I, I'm so easily distracted that I'm, oh, I got to check that. So I started using paper books. Uh, wow, I'm going back, right? Or I use a Kindle that has no access to the internet except to download books because I know that I can easily get off focus. And many times we can get off focus in our Christian walk, where we feel like this is where God is leading us and directing us, but we're like the dog in Up, where we get distracted by the squirrels of life. Squirrel? Right? And I know I'm not alone. I might be, you know, worse than the majority of you, but it is a difficult task to stay on 
focus. We can focus on the sins that we're just continuously committing and not allowing God to have them fully. Or we can focus on the sins that other people have caused to us. And when we lose focus, we lose the ability to love or obey as Christ calls us to love and obey. Because we lose focus of the right things when we stop focusing on God. God is to be our true focus. Our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is key for us to love well. And we can easily slip into forgetting to do our devotions or forgetting to pray or forgetting to set aside time to be with our Father because life does get busy and life is distracting. You have a computer, you get notifications all the time. Ding, 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 ding. If you have a phone and, and a watch that's connected to your phone, it's always just vibrating, telling you you have to do this. So, you know, sometimes it distracts me because it tells me I have to stand up. And I'm like, I don't want to stand up. I'm doing something, but I get distracted. I lose focus, and we can lose our focus of God. And when we do that, we begin to neglect obedience, and that that entails love, where we do not love the way we are to love. But to love well, our focus must be on the right things. Our focus must be on the right things. To love well, we must have correct focus. It can be easy to stop loving when we're called to love. It can be easy to slip back into selfish ways as we talked about entitlement, as we talked about the lack of self-surrender where we're just living for ourselves. It can be easy to step back into those and lose focus of what God has called us to. And so this morning, we are going to continue in our series of Scary Love. And we're going to go back and read what we've read, but then we're going to focus on the very last part of verse, uh, verse 5. So if you'd open up your scripture with me and read alongside with me, we will look at the word of the Lord together. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And here's where we'll land today in verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Today we are looking at the art of rejoicing and answering the question that we've been looking to answer this entire series. Why is true love scary and how do we practice it? Why is true love scary and how do we practice it? As we focus on it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, we can see that love is scary because true love relinquishes a desire for revenge. 
True love relinquishes a desire for revenge. If you remember, as we talked about last week, we had this discussion about forgiveness, and, and we had this discussion about not insisting on our own way. We had the discussion that love is not irritable or holding a record of wrongs. Paul then flows perfectly into this discussion of rejoicing in the right things, focusing on the right things. When we are loving well, we will not want to have vengeance. Now, you might think, well, I mean, I don't do that. I don't, I don't want vengeance. I'm not, I'm not a vengeful person. I don't try to get revenge. I don't, I don't do that. But Paul, he's mentioning it because we have a heart problem. He's talking to the human heart. He knows the human condition. And often we are not completely honest with our thought life. We're not honest with where we really walk in the lack of love. We may not have this sense of, oh, I'm going to get them really good. And we take it upon ourselves to bring revenge. But when bad things happen to those who've hurt us, we have a sense of satisfaction. Yeah, they deserve that. Look at how they've been living their life, of course. Look at, look at how they treat people, of course. They deserve that type of, of vengeance from the Lord. And we, we call it that, right? It's, it's the vengeance of the Lord. <laughs> but in our heart, we're like, that's my vengeance. Yes. It is a proclivity of the human heart to desire others to receive that which they dish out. It is something that is part of our fallen nature, but we're not often honest about the depth of our fallenness. Past pains brought on by others can create a desire for revenge. It's true, because the human condition is always wanting its own way. When someone hurts us and brings pain, we grow into bitterness and we grow into vengeance. If we were to seriously stop and pause and look at the reflection of our hearts, we could see that oftentimes this is how we feel. But we're not to rejoice in wrongdoing. This doesn't just happen with the wrongdoing that happens to people. It's rejoicing in their sin. Oh, yeah, they're going to they're gonna get it because they're such a sinful person. Yeah, rejoice in that. Or we might even relish our own sin, where we relish and rejoice in our own wrongdoing, where we pat ourselves on the back, often even in the midst of sin. We do not rejoice at wrongdoing. We have to be honest with where we are, with how we perceive people. We have to be honest with how we expect God to do something to those who do something to us. Pain is a part of life. Pain is something that happens. We've talked about this for the last two weeks. Hurt people hurt people. We naturally respond when we're hurt trying to hurt others. But as believers, we are to live differently. We are to pray for those who hurt us. We're to pray for our enemies. We are to love our enemies. We are to love our brother and sister next to us, even if they sometimes bring pain. When we try to get that revenge or we pray for God to give them what they deserve, we need to stop and remember 
I praise Jesus he does not give me what I deserve. Because I deserve nothing but torture and death because of my sin. And so it becomes easier to love when we remember what God has done for us. Now this doesn't mean that you just take it all the time when someone is bringing pain in your life. You need to remove yourself from people who don't know how to not cause pain. Because there are people like that. But that doesn't mean that you don't love them. That means you have separated yourself from them and continue to pray for them even though you know that they will continue to cause pain if you don't remove yourself from them. This is really scary stuff when you stop to think about it, that we have to pause and be honest with the core of who we are. Paul would not have said it. The Lord would not have put this upon Paul's heart if it wasn't a part of the human condition. If this aspect of rejoicing and wrongdoing was not part of our human condition, it would not have been written down. But Paul is speaking directly to us. We know that he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, and I've often said that the church in Corinth is a perfect mirror to the church in the Western world. Because the same problems that they had, we just continue to have. We just don't learn as humans. Right? I mean, it's like when you do something bad and there's a, a bad response, there's some consequences. Most of the time, we might just go back to that same thing, expecting a different result, and they call that insanity. But as humans, sometimes we're a little insane. He challenges us to the core of our thought life, and he forces us to expose our hearts and see if we really love the way we say we do. Honestly evaluating our hearts helps us love better. We must pause and ask the Holy Spirit of the living God to speak truth into our hearts where we stand with others. Do we rejoice at wrongdoing? Or do we mourn when things happen to others that are destructive or painful? We really need to pause and ask that question. The Holy Spirit loves when we say, God, reveal to me my heart. Give me a clean heart, O God. If there's any way in me that is not of you, let me know. I'm quoting the Psalms. This is David's heart to be reconnected with the Lord because he knew his proclivity to have darkness. He knew that his main desire was not always God's main desire. And so we must ask the Holy Spirit to show us our true nature, where we are really at with God and with others. And this is scary because I think we do all kinds of different things to avoid being real with where we are at. We do all kinds of things. We put ourselves in supreme busyness or we fall into addictions or we try to help other people all of the time and stop focusing on how the Holy Spirit needs to help us. We find all kinds of ways to avoid the Holy Spirit speaking honestly to our hearts. But we have to stop. If we are to love well, love the way we are called to, we must be honest with our hearts. Letting go of our desire for revenge or our desire to see others get what we think they need is a core part of love. Not rejoicing in wrongdoing. Because rejoicing in someone's pain is not love. 
I know that sounds like a a no-duh type of statement, but if we stop and really look in our hearts, how many times have we rejoiced in someone's pain? We might not go outwardly and write on Facebook, I'm so glad this person is in trouble. (laughs) We might not come to church and look at the person and say, wow, I'm so glad your life stinks right now. I mean, if you do that, you got more things wrong. But in our hearts, we might do a little bit of a dance. We're like, wow, yeah, that person, they said this to me. I'm so glad that someone did that to them. Rejoicing in someone's pain is not love. Is not love. Again, Paul is mentioning this. The Holy Spirit brought this to his heart to write because we do this. Now, we might not often do it, but there are moments where we end up doing it. Let me share with you another truth. True love hates when others are harmed. True love hates it. When you see someone in pain or anguish, even if they have caused you pain, do you hate that on their behalf? Do you seek to say, man, I don't care if you hurt me. I want to walk with you in this. I want to help be the hands and feet of Jesus for you. This pain that you're going through, I don't wish that upon you. I don't want to see that happen in your life. Do we grieve and mourn? Do we weep with those who weep? Do we rejoice with those who rejoice? I don't think we often get the weeping with those who weep part very well. Whether you are someone who has been caused harm by someone or not, let's just move into the idea of weeping and mourning with those who weep and mourn. As a pastor, sometimes it's difficult because I feel like I have to have the answer when someone's in mourning, or I have to try and, you know, help boost them up and and give them all kinds of scripture and say, hey, this is, this is not right. Don't worry about it. Like, let's calm down. But often as believers, we're not called to that type of help. Really, what people need is for us to weep with them. To hold them in their pain. To help them walk through that. To mourn with those who mourn. It's a lot easier to try and say something nice to to help them feel better. And then we walk away and think, well, I did my Christian duty. I made them feel better. But you leave... And if you were to truly ask them, did that help? They would hopefully be honest and say, that didn't help at all. I wish you would just sit with me and hear me and cry with me in silence. Now, we don't like silence in the United States. We like noise. We like to talk. We like to hear other people talk. We like to talk more than we like to hear other people talk, if we're honest. But the reality is sitting with people in their pain and silence is sometimes the best and most of the time the best response. Mourning with those who mourn. We do not love it when people are harmed. We, if we truly love, hate when others are harmed. The next thing that we see is that he moves from rejoicing in wrongdoing and moves to rejoicing in truth. Or we rejoice in truth. And I believe that what Paul is saying is several different things, but I want to point out one, and that is that true love is altogether authentic. 
True love is altogether authentic. Love rejoices with the truth. Paul, I think, again, mentions, has an idea of a lot of different things with this one small statement. But I think it's important as we look at this idea of wrongdoing and we look at the idea of irritability and resentfulness that he's moving into an aspect of authenticity where we are real with one another, where we are honest with one another. You cannot have true community if you're just faking it. You just can't. When you pretend to be someone that you are not, they do not love you as you are truly are. They love a fake you. And when they love a fake you, you can never feel true love because they're not really loving you. And we have the same problem with the Lord where we're not in community with Him. We're not trying to be truthful or honest with our hearts because we try to stem away from how dark we really can be. And we try to, to move away from that with one another. We don't want other people to know how dark our hearts can really be. But we cannot be free unless we are honest. We cannot experience true community unless we are authentic. This is a vital piece of where we're going as a church in community. I would love to see a gathering of people as they get into small groups and they just spend time confessing their true nature and praying for one another for the Lord to heal them where we confess our sins, all of them, even the secret ones. And then we have the people that are with us in that community and they love us and they care for us and they help us get past these sins. Man, isn't that scary? You're like, well, I don't want that. This is what that church is about. I'm out. But that's a vital piece of true community. We often walk into a place and we can read the Bible and study the Bible and be encouraged by the Bible, and we walk away unchanged because we weren't honest. You know, I know I've done this, and I know some of you have done this too. We go into a Bible study and you pretend like you actually read what you were supposed to read. I want you to read Matthew 5 through 10, and you come in and you say, Oh, I read Matthew 5 through 10, Pastor. Okay, tell me what's in 7. Well, I have to look it up, right? This happens often. Even in that moment, we're not being real. Why? Why Why do we do that? I think because we're scared. We're scared of the true community that we're called to. We're scared of living honestly because if we have to be honest and we have to look at where we're really at, we don't really like where we're at. We feel pretty bad about the darkness in us, and so we try to avoid it. But that's not love. That's not true community, because to be fully loved, we must be fully known. We must be fully known. I tell you this in all truth, that if you do not allow yourself to be fully known and get true with the darkness and the sins that you always try to hide, if you don't get real with those things, you will never be free. Because we're hiding it from God too, which means we're not really confessing it, we're not really repenting from it. We just put on a good face and say, oh yeah, I conquered that today. But you didn't. Authenticity in community and love is vital. We rejoice in the truth. When we can be honest with one another, people will rejoice and say, finally, you were honest. We can rejoice in the truth. Finally, it's out. I'm free. 
The Lord can bring healing now because I was walking in authenticity. But self-revelation is scary. It really is. The Bible doesn't call us to easy things. It calls us to difficult things, scary things often. And this is one of those things. Being vulnerable seems unsafe. Often we are afraid to be vulnerable because there was a time in our life where we were vulnerable and it was used against us. We've got to be free of that and ask the Lord to heal that wound so that we can move forward in true community. This is love, where we love and rejoice in the truth of what people bring to us and we can bring it to them. In relationships, we're going to come to a place where we need to be honest with either the pain that people are causing us or the pain that's within our own hearts. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are those who mourn and they will be comforted. But if we're not mourning, if we're not grieving, we cannot be comforted. We must be honest with the sin and honest with the pain. And this also is rejoicing in the truth where the Word of God comes to us. And we read the Word and we hear a sermon or we experience the time where we hear and know God's truth is piercing our hearts. Often we want to shy away from that. Maybe right now you're feeling that way. But we should rejoice in the truth. Yes. Yes, this is what I want. This is the truth of God's Word. But when other people sin against us in community, sometimes we can pretend like they didn't. Because community's not safe to say, hey, that really wounded me. But we have to be honest with one another in that as well. When someone wounds you, rather than holding it as a bitter grudge, wanting revenge, we have to lovingly say, when you said that or did that, that wounded my heart. Oftentimes, you'll find that people, when they wound you, they don't even know that they wounded you. When they say something that, that's seemingly innocuous to them, you know, be like, oh, wow, you know, you probably should get new shoes. <laughs> I mean, maybe I do. <laughs> but when you say something that's just innocuous, something small to you, you feel like you're trying to help them, that could really wound someone's heart. And so we need to be honest with those things, the small things and the big things. Love rejoices in truth. How can we live in community and not be honest when we're wounded? We, ha we have to be. We rejoice in God's word, the truth that he brings. We rejoice in the truth of authenticity. And we rejoice in the truth of being honest with our pain and our wounds. But there's also another aspect of authenticity and love that we rejoice in. And that's when we call one another out on our sins in a loving way. Now, often when I'm doing uh, marriage counseling, uh, when we talk about communication with one another, whether it's premarital or marriage counseling, when it comes to communication with your spouse, I always say when you have a conversation that you need to say something tough, there are two things that are very important, timing and tone. Timing and tone. Because we might come to a place where we really want to tell them that they hurt us, and it's not the right time. And we come in rushing in like a bull, and we tell them that they really wounded us at the wrong time. Or we could use the wrong tone. You know, when you come to someone and say, hey, when you said that, that really wounded me. That's a good tone. When you're like, man, when you said that thing about my shoes, I just wanted revenge. 
to tell you your jacket was ugly. But I didn't. See, tone and timing are key. When we have to call someone out, when we have someone that we love and we see something that's breaking them down, we've got to do it with the right time and tone, but we have to do it. Because you might be the one that the Holy Spirit is speaking to to help your brother or sister in their sin. If we ignore it, they might have a blind spot. Love calls one another out. Because tough love is still love. Tough love is still love. Scripture says this in Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. One of the things that we can expect is that as believers, we will have wounds from our friends. But there can be faithful wounds where we help one another, where we love one another, where we rejoice in the truth. And the person who's being called out on their sin, your first response is normally not going to be, Hallelujah! I was called out on my sin. You might be a little bit frustrated. But Paul is saying that we should rejoice in truth. Yes, what you said is true. I rejoice in the fact that I no longer have to do this in secret. I rejoice in the truth. Rejoice in God's word. Rejoice when I'm convicted. Rejoice in authenticity. And rejoice when I'm called out, when I need to be called out. Hillary is my greatest form of sanctification. Because my wife loves me and doesn't let me go unholy for very long. She, and I, I, I praise Jesus for this, where she will really point out those things that I need to correct because she knows that's not the path that I want to go down. And she usually has really good timing and really good tone. And she doesn't do it to wound me. She does it to say, buddy, you got to get right. And that is so helpful. I truly don't know where I would be without her in my life. I am a way better man because of her. You wouldn't want to see me without her. You could pray for her, though. <laughs> if the people who we love and the people whom say love us never call us out on our sin, we're missing a huge part of love. We're missing a huge part of love because we're not perfect we need our brothers and sisters. We need one another in community to be real with us. And we need a place that we can be real with one another. I don't say this to scare you off and say, oh, I don't want any of that kind of community. I say this is what the Bible calls us to as believers, and we can love one another. The question is, will you live into true love and be honest? or allow others to be honest with you? Will you rejoice or reject truth? We need to rejoice in truth, not rejoice in wrongdoing. May we be people who rejoice in the truth of God's word, the truth of authenticity, and the truth of being called out. May we live authentic lives and experience the true love that God has us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, even when it's hard. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak deeply to our hearts, that we'll allow you to be honest with us, that we can be honest with you. I pray for freedom, 
Freedom from revenge, freedom from bitterness, freedom from unforgiveness. And that we'll walk rejoicing in the truth. And that the love that you have for us will transform the way we love one another. In your name, amen.